Hey, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We are starting a new a new series today as we're headed into the holiday season. So as we draw closer to Christmas Day, actually the Christian church for centuries uh, has been celebrating a season that leads up to Christmas Day, and this season is called Advent. Maybe you've heard of it before. Maybe you've been in the store and you've seen an Advent calendar. And what is Advent? It's just, it is in, it actually begins the calendar year for the church. And I'll get more to that in a second. But the word Advent, it's very simple. It's a Latin word, and it just means coming, the coming. And Advent is a time where we reflect on how God came to us, how God is still coming to us, and how one day God, Jesus, is going to come again. This is who God is. He's the God who was, the God who is, and the one who is to come. Now, Dr. Dan Tomlin explains Advent this way. He says, many centuries ago, the church established a sacred calendar to inspire its worship. The sacred calendar focused on God's saving acts as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. The first sacred season is Advent. Advent is a season of expectation. For centuries, the Hebrew prophets declared the coming of the anointed one. The Hebrew people patiently waited for the consolation of Israel. Each year, as the church celebrates Advent, the people of God experience a season of hopeful expectation. Just as the ancient Hebrews anticipated the advent of the Messiah, the church presently anticipates the second advent of Jesus Christ. Advent focuses our worship on the fullness of Christ's redemption, incarnation, and consummation. Thinking of the sacred calendar as a clock is helpful to understanding Advent. Just as 12 o'clock is the ending and the beginning of the day, a.m. and p.m., so too Advent is the ending and beginning of the sacred calendar. So one of the traditions in the Advent season uh, is that every week you light a candle and every candle stands for something, hope, peace, joy, and love. And then the middle is the Christ candle. So today we are lighting the candle of hope. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And just like that, the Advent season has begun. So it's about the coming of the Lord. And so Advent is not just about Jesus's birth. We do celebrate that. We do anticipate what it means for him to come in the incarnation. But really, it also makes us look forward to his second coming. And so today, the text that we're going to start with is in Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 32. And it is, uh, it's kind of an apocalyptic text, right? Who knew Christmas was apocalyptic, but really it is. And it is pointing us towards the second coming of Christ. So Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 32 this is Jesus talking. He says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. It could be in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say 
to all. Stay awake. When I was reading this, when I first started reading this text and I first started studying this, something stuck out to me. I, I don't know. I saw something that I've never seen before. And that is the difference between days and day. Days and days. So if you know anything about Mark 13, you know that in the passage in the scripture leading up to what Jesus just said, Jesus talks about days as in plural with an S, meaning more than one. Uh, you know, days are important. I don't know. These are the days of our lives, <laughs> if you remember that. And, you know, some people are always in search of the good old days. If you ever watch the show, The Office, it's one of my all-time favorite quotes from Andrew Baines Bernard. He says, I wish there was a way to know when you are in the good old days before you've actually left them. I mean, that was good. That was a good quote. Got me teary-eyed for a moment. But, you know, maybe you're longing for the good old days when you could throw a football 40 yards or run up and down a basketball court. Or maybe you just miss the days when you could wake up in the morning and everything didn't ache and was sore. You know, we all are looking for good old days. Moses told us that we should number our days. And a uh, little factoid, the average person lives 27,375 days. I did the math. I have been alive for 13,360 days. So you know what? I'm halfway there. <laughs> uh, days are important. And Jesus in chapter 13 talks about days, plural. He talks about days that are marked by tribulation. Just a little bit above this, Mark 13, 19, Jesus says, for in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and will never be. In these days, Jesus talks about wars, rumors of wars, nations in chaos, earthquakes, famines, severe times that he says God will cut short in his mercy uh, because they're going to be so bad. Now, in times like we're living right now, it actually feels like we are in those days or at least a part of those days, right? We can feel the tribulation tremors. We can feel the end of days as many people's love grows cold. We can sense and feel even the Antichrist agenda that is set forth in our own nation. But here's the point I want to make, and it's really important. Don't get so caught up speculating about those days, plural, that you lose the focus on the day. Because Jesus switches from days and he moves into the text we're talking about and he goes to day singular. He says there is a day that is coming that will trump every other day. There's a day coming that's better than all the former days, greater than the glory days. And it's the day that's going to, this, this day, focusing on this day, the day of the Lord that's going to get you through the tribulation days. It's called the day of the Lord. This is what Jesus says concerning that day, concerning that hour. Be ready, be looking for it, be longing for it. This is where our hope is supposed to lie. Our hope is supposed to be in that day, the coming day of the Lord. We set our eyes on it and we're looking forward to it. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is not something that's in just a New Testament idea, but it actually runs throughout all of Scripture. Really, the day of the Lord is any time or season, and there are those times and there are those seasons in the Scriptures when heaven comes down and intersects with the earth. 
When the Lord comes and he executes judgment and justice, he comes and he sets things right. This is what he does. There are actually seasons and times in the scripture where Yahweh, the God of Israel, that has his day where he comes and he executes judgment. So what I'm saying is there's actually in the scriptures, there's more than just one day of the Lord. There's multiple days of the Lord in the scripture. For instance, when the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt for 400 years, Yahweh comes to his people and he visits them. And when he visits them, that means good things for them, but destruction for their enemies, Egypt. God miraculously sets them free. And after they're set free, they sing a song to the Lord. And the song they sing about is the day that Yahweh came and rescued them. And every year they celebrate the day. It's called Passover. Then another uh, day of the Lord we find in the book of Amos. And, you know, the meaning of the day of the Lord changes with the prophet Amos because Instead of God visiting the enemies of Israel and executing judgment on Israel's enemies, this time God says, the day of the Lord that's coming, I'm going to visit Israel and Israel's going to be judged, not their enemies. The day of the Lord comes and Israel, because of their sin and their refusal over and over and over again to accept God's mercy and grace and to serve him, God finally has enough and God visits them on a day and they are exiled. The temple is sacked. They lose Israel, and they're sent away off into Babylon. And so the day of the Lord is both a wonderful thing and a terrible thing. It just depends on whether you're on the Lord's side or not when the day of the Lord happens. I say all this to say uh, all these days, all the days, all the times Yahweh has visited the earth, all the times in the Old Testament that has been the day of the Lord, they're actually, all those days are just signposts. They're all billboards for a coming future day, the day that Jesus is talking about. There will be a final day of the Lord. There will be a final judgment day where Jesus will come and he will judge the earth and he's going to set everything right and he's going he's gonna <clears> to <throat> make a new creation and this is the final day of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about the two different days, the two different comings of the Lord. It says, but as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for them. Right there in that one scripture is the two comings of Jesus. The first time Jesus comes, why? To seek and to save the lost, to deal with sin, to take on death, hell, and the grave head on. That was the first time he came. But the second time he comes, he's coming to wrap it all up, put a bow on it, finish it up, save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And for those that are not looking and waiting for him, they will meet their judge. They will meet their judgment day. And so uh, this is a great visual representation. I want you to look at this just for a second because I think it's a great representation of that scripture we just read. You know, there is the old age, which is the age of the law, sin, and death. And then you can see there in the timeline when Jesus comes the first time, that's the dawning of a new age, the cross, the resurrection, the giving of the spirit. And then 
there is coming the parousia. If you see there that word parousia, that just means coming. That means the second coming of Christ. There is coming the day when he comes and then he's gonna wrap everything up and start a new creation. It's a great timeline. And where we are right now is we are in that gray zone. The gray zone there that says the overlapping of the old age and the new age. This is where we live. We live between two comings. We live between when Jesus deals with sin and the second coming when Jesus will put his enemies under his feet and our feet and we'll be saved forever. This is called realized eschatology or it's called already but not yet the kingdom of God. This is what it means. The kingdom of God is already here but it's not yet complete. The battle has been fought that will secure the final victory. And the best way for understanding this, I think it comes from a guy named Oscar Coleman. He uses an analogy. He says this, that Christians live between D-Day and V-E Day. Okay, in World War II, D-Day was when the Allied troops invaded the beaches of Normandy, right? That was the turning point in the war. The war was not completely over yet, but that was a big battle. And the winning of that battle really set up the victory of the Allied troops. But the, form, the formal surrender of the Germans happened on VE Day, which stands for Victory in Europe Day. I actually had to look that up. Victory in Europe Day, if you didn't know that. But Germany unconditionally surrendered its military forces to the Allies on May 8th, 1945. This is VE Day. And so this is the analogy that Coleman uses, and it's so good for us to understand. So for the Christian, the death and resurrection of Jesus was D-Day. Jesus fought the battle, defeated Satan. It's inevitable. He's going down. He's already defeated, but he's going down kicking and screaming. Make no mistake. He is lost. He is going to lose. And so just know that today, that the cross was D-Day. The victory is won. No matter how dark the world gets, the light has already won. It's dawn. The sun is beginning to rise, and it's pushing back the darkness. But when Jesus comes back, that will be VE day. All the enemies of God will be forever subjugated under the feet of Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So, if the battle's already been won, and the final inevitable victory of when Jesus comes back, it's inevitable, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Because this is where we live. Go back to that picture. We live in that gray zone. We live in the middle. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ will come. We live between the ages. And because we live between the ages, the church is actually on the front lines. We are on a crash course collision with the very powers of darkness. How are we to live between the ages? How are we to live in the meantime? And Jesus here in Mark 13 tells us, he tells a parable of a man that owns a house and he goes away on a long journey and he leaves his servants in charge while he's gone. They have a job to do and they are to be ever alert. And so this is what we are to do. He says, we're servants of the master. He says, we're workers on a mission. And he says, we're waiting for the return of the Lord. How are we to live in the meantime? That's what we're to do. We're to be servants. We're to be doing the work of the master. And number three, we're to be waiting and watching for him. So let's look at that first one. Number one, we're servants. He says he 
a, a man goes on a journey and he turns his house over to his servants. That word servants in Greek is the word doulos. And it's normally translated servant, uh, but that's actually not the greatest translation of the servant. The reason most American Bibles translate it servant is because the word slave in our uh, culture has very just negative connotations with American chattel slavery and all that. But that word doulos, the actual, it, it, it should be slave. A master turns his uh, house over to slaves. Or maybe even to pinpoint it a little bit further, it's actually the term bondservant. Bondservant. And what was a bondservant? The Apostle Paul often would start his letters with, I am an apostle of uh, Jesus Christ, a bondservant, a bondservant of Christ. He would call himself. Well, what is a bondservant? Well, if you go back and you look at it and you study that word in its context, you find that a bondservant was someone who actually had won their freedom. It's somebody who had maybe that one time were under slavery, but they won their freedom. And what they choose to do with their freedom, actually, they love their master so much. They appreciate their master so much, they actually willingly come and give themselves back to that master. And they say, I'm willingly choosing to serve you all the days of my life. This is what a bond servant is. A bond servant who willingly gives up their rights to serve at the pleasure of their master. And this is what Jesus says we are to be like. We are to be like bond servants for the master. You know, Jesus had earlier in the Gospel of Mark, he had already explained this to his disciples. There was an argument between them about who would be the greatest in the kingdom, who will have a place of honor with Jesus. Jesus tells them, stop trying to be first. Give up your rights. Be a servant of all. He says this in Mark 10, 43. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the Gospel of John, Jesus shows us what it's like to not be, to not be served, but to be the one serving, right? He's at that Last Supper with his disciples. He gets up from the table, and what does he do? He, he puts a towel around his waist, and he gets down on his hands and uh, knees, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. What is Jesus telling his disciples? Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, it's time to take off your bib and to put on your apron. It's time to take off the bib and to put on an apron. You see, a bib and an apron are made of the same material. They're made of the same cloth. They even have the same job. They're meant to keep food off of you. They're meant to keep you clean. But the difference is where the apron and the bib are located. A bib is up here around your neck. And what does a bib mean? A bib means you're seated at a table and someone is serving you. But when you take the bib off from around your neck and you tie it around your waist, what are you saying? You're saying, it's time for me to get up from the table. It's time for me to get up from someone else serving me and feeding me. And it's time for me to start serving someone else and feeding others. You see, this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. It's not about you just getting, 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 receiving, receiving, receiving. It's not about you just coming to church and about you being fed always and consuming. No, you've got to move 
up from the table and go towards the kitchen and you got to put on the apron and now it's time for you to start making a meal for somebody else. It is time for you to start serving others. You know, when the master returns to either take us home or when he returns, like when we die or when he returns and uh, we go with him uh, into glory, we're only going to be judged by one standard. We're only going to be judged by one thing. Were we good and faithful servants? That's, that's it. When we stand before God, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? You know what he's not going to say? Well done, good and faithful CEO. He's not going to say that. Well done, good and faithful Volkswagen employee. Well done, good and faithful mom or dad. Well done, good and faithful pastor Those titles are important, but they're not, at the end of the day, what we'll be judged by. The only title that we'll be judged by, the only title that matters to God is, where are we bondservants? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servants? We serve at the pleasure of our master. It's his applause and his applause only that matters. I heard the story of a professional violin player who was playing before a, a great auditorium, 2,000 people in attendance, and he plays. And at the end of his playing, everybody in the room stands up and they give a standing ovation and they're hooping and hollering, but the violinist begins to cry and he walks off stage. And one of the stagehands says, why are you crying? Look at all these people. They loved it. They loved your performance. And he's crying. He said, look, all the people standing, there's one person not standing. You see that one person right there not standing? You see them? He said, that's my dad. And not only is he my dad, he's my violin teacher. And if he's not standing, and if he's not applauding, it means the piece wasn't good enough. You see, that man was living for the applause of his dad. It didn't matter if thousands of others gave him the applause. There was only really one person in the room that mattered that day. When we get to heaven, on the other side of eternity, there's only gonna be one applause that matters. Not what people said about us on Facebook. Not what friends and family said about us. No, there's only one applause that matters. Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant. First, we're servants. But he says the servants have a job to do. Next is work. He says the servants are to be working in the master's house. We have a job. The driving force behind the work of the servants is the imminent return of the master. When the master returns, the house must be in order. The servants can't become distracted or they can't become lazy or they can't put off the work thinking, ah, the servant's been, the master's been gone a while. He's surely not coming back tomorrow. And so we put things off and we put things off and we put things off because they think they can get it done tomorrow. But today could be the day when the master comes. Today could be the day when he returns. You know, this week I saw where legendary investor Charlie Munger died. He was Berkshire Hathaway's vice chairman. He's been with Warren Buffett for nearly six decades. He was his partner in business. And they saw uh, Berkshire Hathaway, that was just a little textile company, become a billion-dollar company. And Charlie Munger himself became a billion-dollar businessman, crazy net worth. 
And you know what? I don't have nothing to say against that. I applaud their success. I applaud their hard work. But if Charlie Munger could, could, could come back from the dead, if, they could, if he could come back from the other side just for a moment, and he could tell you one thing, what do you think that one thing would be? You think he would tell you about a good investment strategy for your future? You think he would tell you the secret of becoming a billionaire? I doubt it very much. If Charlie Munger could step out of eternity and speak to us today, I believe he'd tell us one thing. You better be ready to meet your maker. Don't delay. Everything you do here in this life will have eternal repercussions. Do the work of the Lord, not the work of man, not the work of the American dream. One day the dream will be over and the eternal reality is going to set in. And the only thing that matters at, this, at that point is if Jesus is your Savior, number one, and then number two, what did you do with that salvation? How did you steward what he gave you? Did you use your days and hours and breath to build the kingdom of God? Or have you just been going after your own plans, your own agenda? God has a work for each and every one of his servants. God has something for all of his bond servants to do, something for you to accomplish. You're needed in the kingdom of God. You have something to do. One day, the work will be over. One day, it's done. One day will be the last day. Then what you've built for the kingdom here will actually last for eternity. But what you've built here for yourself will be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ and be lost for eternity. You know, there is, Reinhard Bonnke tells a story. Reinhard Bonnke has recently gone to be with the Lord, but he tells a story of when he was getting a little, he was getting a little hot-headed about all he had accomplished for the Lord. And if you've ever seen a Reinhard Bonnke crusade, he was a great evangelist. He would have sometimes as many as a million people, one million people in a crowd. It's a sea of people. And he's preaching the gospel and people are getting saved and their lives are being changed. And one day, Reinhard was getting a little arrogant about it, thinking, oh yeah, God, see, I'm doing all this great work for you. And Reinhard Bonnke says, the Lord stopped him. He said, and the, he said, the Lord told him, Reinhard, you need to know something. You weren't my first choice. You weren't my second choice. You're actually my third choice. The calling on your life I had called two other people to do it, and they wouldn't do it. They didn't do the work. You were third in line. Wow, talk about a wake-up call. But man, think about what the other two people missed, what they could have seen, the eternal reward they could have. What God has called you to do, you better get to doing it because you don't know when the day is the last day. We're servants. We're working the mission of God. And the last thing is, we're watching and we're waiting. The doorkeeper is supposed to stand at the door and watch. I don't know if you're a, a planner. My wife is a planner. I am not. <laughs> I'm just here today. I always say she's a giraffe and I'm a turtle. A giraffe is tall. It can look out a long way and see what's ahead and what's coming. But a turtle is slow and is just thinking about what's right in front of them. And I, I drive my wife nuts with this all the time. But you planners, you like to put things on the calendar. But the thing about the return of the Lord, the thing about the day of the Lord is you, actually, you can't put a date on it. You must live ready. You're not sure when, but it's going to happen. 
and it will be at just the right time. The day of the Lord. This is uh, R.T. France says this about the day of the Lord. He says, the situation calls, therefore, not for calculation of dates or careful observation of signs, but for constant readiness. This is what we're called to be, always ready. We can read the signs of the times, but we can't know the exact date. To me, it's a lot like having a baby. In fact, Jesus said the earthquakes and the wars were the beginnings of labor pains. When my wife was pregnant, you know, she went through that nesting period. So when you go through a nesting period, what are you doing? You're getting ready for the baby. The nursery's ready. We went to parenting classes. We went to birthing classes. We went uh, to get the right car seat and all the things you need, getting the crib, all that kind of stuff. What were we doing? We were preparing. We were living as if the baby was already here. Because when the baby gets here, it's too late to do all that stuff. This is what faith is. What does it mean to live by faith? Living by faith is when you live as if the end is already here. We're living as if Christ is already here and has already returned. We are living now as if the master is here and we are ready for the master. You never know. You can have a due date, but you never really know when the baby's coming. You take a good guess at it. But the baby decides when it's time. And when it's time, there's no stopping it. The baby is coming, ready or not. And what I'm here to tell you today is Jesus is coming, ready or not. He's coming. We got to get ready, church. Today could be the day. Think about it. If Jesus came today, what would he find in your life? If Jesus came today, would he call you a servant? If Jesus came today, would you be proud of the kingdom work that you have done for him? If Jesus came today, would you be waiting and watching for him? You see, the day of the Lord, it's coming. And the day of the Lord is judgment day, which it's both terrible and wonderful. Why is it wonderful? Well, it's wonderful because all of us deep down, we want God to set this world right. Don't you want people who have spilled innocent blood to be brought to justice? Don't you want people who harm children and, uh, and they abuse people to be brought to justice? I mean, we long for judgment day. We long for people to get put in their place. We, we long for people to get put in their place and, and we wish we could put some people in their place. I mean, we long for a judgment day for God to come and to deal with wickedness. But you see, there is only one problem with that is when God comes to deal with the wickedness of the world, I am a part of the world. I live in this world. That means when judgment day comes, God's not just dealing with everyone out there. God's also going to deal with Chad. God's also going to deal with me. Judgment day is wonderful, but it's also terrible. Remember, there's been many days of the Lord. There's already been a judgment day. There's already been a time when God executed judgment. It came 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the cross. Remember what Jesus said about the day of the Lord? There's going to, the sun will be darkened. The stars will fall from their place. Earthquakes are gonna happen. This is the day of the Lord. Well, if you go and read to the end of Mark, and if you go and you look at the book of Matthew, you know what's interesting? Is when Jesus is on the cross and he's getting crucified. 
It says at noon in the middle of the day, the sun goes out. The sky is darkened. It is darkened for the whole day. And it says that there were earthquakes that happened when he cried out, it is finished. And, and there were great thunders and peals of lightning. And yeah, that sounds very like a judgment day. And that's because it was a judgment day. The first time Jesus came, he came for judgment. But the judgment he took was my judgment upon himself on the cross. He dealt with sin in his first coming. He was crucified. He's the only one that can sit on the throne and judge. But Jesus comes off of his judgment throne and he comes and he puts himself on a cross and he takes the judgment of the sin of the world, my sin included, on himself. And so you can live one or two ways. You can live with your faith in Jesus, allowing him to be the substitution for your sin because judgment days already happen for him and therefore for me. Or you can be judged on the final day when he comes back based on your own goodness, your own, your own righteousness. The choice is yours today. We live between two comings. We live between his first coming and his second coming. And what we do with his first coming will determine how we are at the second. Father, I pray for us today as we're moving into the season of Advent where we look at the, the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Lord, I pray we would be servants. Servants that we don't have rights. Servants can't get offended. They have no rights. They serve at the pleasure of the master that whatever you tell us to do, we'll obey and we'll do it. Lord, let it, when you come, may you find us with our hand to the plow doing the work of the Lord. May we present to you a, a, a worthy work that will last for eternity. And God, may we be like the watchman at the door waiting for you. The day of the Lord will not catch us by surprise. But our eyes are on you, Jesus. We pray this and we ask us all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, it's the Advent season. You don't want to miss it. 9 or 11 live. You definitely don't want to miss Christmas Eve candlelight service that's coming up. That's going to be a special time together as a family. Hey, the most wonderful time of year. We'll see you soon.